0: It's Tuesday, November 5th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Four years ago, almost every country in the world teamed up to say, let's fight climate change. Now the US is saying, see ya. We'll explain what that really means. Then, it's election day. We'll tell you about how national politics are coming up in today's state races. And finally, a new way to tell your Aunt Ruth, no, you're not bringing a plus one to Thanksgiving. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. The most complicated story today is about the Paris Climate Agreement. Four years ago, representatives from 195 countries all got together in Paris and agreed that climate change is a real problem. In order to keep the global temperature from rising too much too fast, all the countries agreed to do what they could to temper it by encouraging one another to limit emissions and to basically let them choose how to do it. This was kind of a huge deal. The agreement was signed by every country in the world, even the loners like North Korea. But yesterday, the Trump administration formally told the United Nations that the U.S. is pulling out. So today, we're going to break down why this is happening now and what the impact of this move means on a global scale. Let's get into it, starting with the timeline. Because you might be thinking, didn't we already leave the Paris climate deal? You're not crazy. President Trump has been campaigning to get the U.S. out of it practically since President Obama first signed it. In part because he's argued that working with other leaders to fix these global problems doesn't feel very America first. So a few months after he took office in 2017, Trump stood in the White House Rose Garden and made the call. In order to fulfill my solemn duty to protect America and its citizens, the United States will withdraw from the Paris... Climate Accord. But easier said than done. Under the rules of the Paris Agreement that the U.S. signed onto, countries have to wait four years from the day it was signed before they can actually leave. Which means technically, the U.S. can't leave the deal until November 4th, 2020, a full year from now. Yesterday was just the first day the U.S. could give notice that they were leaving. So much paperwork. But that's why this made headlines yesterday. And this decision will likely have a huge impact but maybe not in the way you might think. So far, we haven't seen many signs that big emitters like China or India are trying to follow the U.S. out the door. But when the U.S. was in the room, it kind of forced everyone else to up their game. Now that the U.S. is gone, some are worried that countries like China won't feel the pressure to keep upping its climate game, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of the agreement. Another potential impact has to do with U.S. businesses, Remember, President Trump says that the Paris Agreement is holding the U.S. back. Here he was again back in 2017. This agreement is less about the climate and more about other countries gaining a financial advantage over the United States. Basically, Trump thinks the Paris Climate Agreement puts an unfair economic burden on U.S. workers, businesses, and taxpayers. That because the U.S. has the second highest greenhouse gas emissions in the world, Any changes he thinks the U.S. might have to make could be expensive and make the U.S. less competitive. But the agreement is actually pretty flexible, by design. It says every country will decide how it wants to go about lowering its own emissions. That flexibility is what attracted so many countries to it in the first place. And there's an argument to be made that this is actually a bad move for U.S. businesses. Because even though Trump said that staying in the agreement will mean Other countries gaining a financial advantage over the United States. Economists say other countries will actually benefit if the U.S. leaves. Here's why. If the rest of the world is investing in new clean energy technology, like solar and wind, and the U.S. is sticking with old-school sources of energy like coal and gas, then the U.S. is going to get left behind when it comes to technological innovation. A bunch of companies like Apple and Google and energy companies like Shell have lobbied Trump to stay in the deal. They say that leaving it will make it harder for them to compete in the global market. Over 2,000 businesses and investors have signed a pledge saying they'll fulfill the agreement on their own now. On top of that, cities, states, and tribes across the country have also said they'll step up where the federal government is giving up. And the environmental leaders at the European Union say they'll work with those guys, instead of Washington, to keep getting stuff done for the planet. So even though Trump is formally taking the U.S. government out of the Paris Agreement, a ton of U.S. cities, businesses, and investors are saying, we're still in. So what's the skim? The Trump administration is saying au revoir to the Paris Climate Agreement. Going forward, the U.S. will still be allowed to attend future meetings about the Paris Agreement, But at those meetings, the U.S. will now be considered observers, not participants. It's like, you can come to dinner, but you can't eat. Remember, the U.S. is still technically in the deal. The official goodbye will come next year. Actually, one day after the 2020 presidential election, but a few months before Inauguration Day. Meaning, if we get a new president, they would have to go through the process of rejoining the Paris deal if they want back in. It's not clear how easy that process would be, but every major Democratic candidate says we should do it. So, TBD. Before we get to the 2020 election, though, we have to make it through the 2019 election. And, hey, that's today. We'll break down the big Election Day stories next. Looking for the right job can make you feel alone. But what if instead you felt hopeful? There are 20 million jobs on LinkedIn and people who can help you find them. People who will give you advice, help you learn new skills, and people who are hiring. On LinkedIn, you're not alone. Find the job meant for you at linkedin.com slash jobs. That's linkedin.com slash jobs. It's election day. Depending on where you live, you could just be voting for your local school board members or you're voting for your governor. Even though all elections are local today, national politics is coming up a lot. Let's start with Mississippi, which is usually considered a pretty red state. The last time the state voted for a Democratic president was in 1976. But this year's governor's race is surprisingly close. It's an open seat. The state's Republican Lieutenant Governor, Tate Reeves, is running against the state's attorney general, Jim Hood, who happens to be a Democrat. The two are basically neck and neck. Reeves has been trying to align his Democratic opponent with national progressive figures, like House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. But Hood is having none of it. He's campaigning in favor of tax cuts and is playing up his love of guns. A recent campaign ad even shows him leaning across the hood of a pickup truck to shoot a beer bottle from hundreds of yards away. I do my job and I'm a straight shooter. If the election goes Hood's way, he'd be the first Democratic governor of Mississippi in nearly 16 years. Another state with a close governor's race today is Kentucky, which is, again, fairly red. It's the state that brought us Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Republican Senator Rand Paul. Kentucky's Republican governor, Matt Bevan is running for reelection, so he has the incumbency advantage, but he's notoriously unliked. According to a recent poll, he's the least popular governor in the entire country. So Bevan is trying to attach himself to a Republican who's much more popular in his state. How about this guy, who showed up for a rally just hours before the polls opened? Well, I just want to say a very big, hello, Kentucky. Meanwhile, Bevan's Democratic opponent, Attorney General Andy Bashir, brings his own claim to fame. Up until 2015, his dad, Steve Bashir, was the governor of Kentucky. Bevin actually took his seat. So, little weird family connection there. The final stop on our Election Day tour is Virginia. Virginia's historically been considered a swing state, though it's leaning blue lately. Democrats and Republicans often split control between the governor's office and the legislative chambers, which means lots of gridlock in Virginia politics. But political junkies are watching this election very closely, because if Democrats win back both legislative chambers, they'd take full control of Virginia's government for the first time since the 90s. So that's what's up today. And speaking of elections, we at The Skim just published the results of a brand new survey in which we asked millennial women how they're feeling ahead of next year's election in 2020. Fun fact. When asked if electability is the most important quality in a presidential candidate, only 20% of women said yes. Instead, they're looking at things like trustworthiness, how well a candidate gets along with their opponent, and their resume. To see the complete findings of our new survey, head on over to theskim.com slash 2020. The best part of a three-day weekend? a much shorter work week. You work Tuesday and Wednesday, and then voila, it's Thursday, which is so close to Friday you can practically taste the weekend. That four-day work week could also be helping you get more done. This summer, Microsoft told employees in Japan they only had to work four days a week. And the results were surprising. Even though workers were spending 20% less time at the office, their total productivity jumped by 40%. Also, since employees were spending less time at work, the company encouraged them to cut their meetings down to a half-hour tops, which to be honest, sounds like a great idea no matter where you're working. Four-day work weeks are kind of becoming a trend. One of the largest labor unions in the country, the AFL-CIO, is pitching that companies start trying it and clarifying that that would mean working four eight-hour days. So this wouldn't mean cramming 40 hours into four days. The idea is gaining steam among trade unions in Europe, too. Meaning the four-day work week could soon be coming to an office near you. A girl can dream. Before we go today, we've got a thing to know, courtesy of Emma Watson. The 29-year-old actress recently opened up to British Vogue, about the pressure women often feel to have it all by age 30. Career, husband, family. Watson says she's also felt that pressure, but now she says she's happy being single. Actually, she has another word for her relationship status. I call it being self-partnered. Self-partnered. Sounds like an idea we can partner up with, too. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to add The Skim to your morning routine, you can sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.